they finally see the connection between a decision now and getting the pleasure they seek or mitigating the risk in time for them to avoid the pain they fear. Welcome to the Food for Thought Lunch Break with Steve Bookbinder podcast, the show that gives you things to think about when you're trying to make more sales without all the seriousness of conventional sales talks. Enjoy and learn as he makes fun of sales training, salespeople, and sales trainers, including himself, all while giving you battle-tested strategies that work. Now, here's your host, Steve Bookbinder. Hey, thanks for joining me on your break. I'm always looking for ways to get more sales easier. Turning your break into a coaching break is a great way for me to help you get more sales easier, too. Think about a recent purchase. How did you make that decision? How do your family and friends and the company you work for make decisions? Now, compare that to the standard sales process, and we realize that either customers are not making decisions right, or we, salespeople, are not necessarily selling to them in a way that helps people make a decision. If I asked you to describe your sales process, you'd probably draw a straight line marking off four or five points representing the steps between first meeting and close. The sales process is to get from point A to point D or E by qualifying, asking about goals and pain points. Then we fill in the gap between goals and pain with presentations and proposals that culminate with the big reveal, the price. Wait, Too much money? No problem. We're willing to negotiate the price as long as the customer decides now and then close the sale. We really don't have a long period for them to decide, only a spot where they tell us their decision. When they don't follow our process by delaying announcing their decision, we get frustrated. We did what we were supposed to do. Why aren't they doing what they're supposed to do? So we follow up. Some salespeople end up saying something that sounds like, hey, it's me. You may recall about a month ago, you asked me to send you a proposal, which I sent to you. So I'm guessing that the purpose of my call today is to check that you received my proposal, read it, like it, decided to buy, but for some odd reason, you forgot to tell me. Of course, we don't actually say those words, but isn't that about what we end up saying when there's a long delay and we follow up? The problem isn't with your follow-up call. The problem is you did everything right. That is right by what most sales trainers and managers tell salespeople to do, and you still don't have a decision. Upon analysis, I think we've been misled by the standard sales process. That process is the workflow for delivering proposals in a timely and organized way. But the process isn't necessarily helping customers make decisions. Well, you and I don't get paid for delivering proposals. We get paid for decisions. Which is why today I'm going to tell you what salespeople need to know about the psychology of decision-making and how we could use that knowledge to produce more decisions, not merely more proposals. We'll discuss how psychology, the customers, and our own guide each of us to make decisions. And then I'll end by suggesting four tips you could use to drive more decisions this week, all in about 15 minutes. Let's start with today's question. How and why do people make decisions? Let's begin with what doesn't cause people to make decisions, proposals and follow-up calls. 
We follow a four or five step linear sales process, but the customer is following their own path to a decision, which is not linear, not step by step, but circular, overlapping and slow until they're ready to decide. And then they move quickly, just like you do. But we follow our sales process because our sales calculation is that the buyer will either decide to buy from us or decide to not buy from us. 50-50, right? This leads us to think that once we deliver a proposal, our odds are 50%. We then add that opportunity to the proposal stage in our pipeline, which we usually call the 50% sales stage. We apply a weighted factor of 50% to everything in that column because we figure half will say yes. Does that sound familiar? Do you close 50% of your proposals? Very few salespeople actually do close 50% of their opportunities in their 50% sales stage. Why? Because the customer can decide to buy or not buy or a third choice, delay making a decision. Customers generally choose delay anytime they can. Check your own personal stats. But I bet your experience is like mine. Delays happen at least half the time. Why delay instead of make a decision? If the customer never bought a service like yours before, they may not know how to evaluate your offer. They don't yet know what questions to ask, what to look for, what a fair price is, the advantages of one supplier over another, etc. And while they may show an interest that looks like a buying signal, they can't reassure themselves that your offer is right for them. Well, lack of reassurance is the number one reason people don't make a decision. Fear of change is number two. Okay, so now we understand why they don't decide. So how do customers make decisions? There are six psychological factors explaining the B2B, business-to-business, corporate decision-making process. The first is what I call risk-pain, which explains the connection between taking action, risk tolerance, and pain. All behaviors motivated by the avoidance of pain or the promise of pleasure. Interestingly, and perhaps sadly, 80% of the time decisions are made to avoid pain. Those 80% are risk-averse. The 20% who are motivated by the promise of pleasure are more risk-tolerant. This is a hard concept for salespeople because our sales process is designed to encourage customers to follow sales logic, which is, our solution will fill the needs gap, and as a result, the customer will gain pleasure. Here, I'm using pleasure to mean the feeling that happy, renewing customers have. Meanwhile, customers are often driven to non-action, which brings some of them even more pleasure. Customers, unlike salespeople, find non-action, that is, not deciding, has three advantages over acting or deciding. Acting, particularly deciding, is harder, potentially more painful, and worst of all, riskier. Risk can be painful. Let me give you an example of how a salesperson can use this information. If I were going to try to sell you a financial investment and I thought you were risk averse, I'd be more persuasive if I first position your current investments as doomed and then position my investment opportunity as a great place to park your money after you pull it out of your doomed account. 
The customer's level of risk tolerance can be learned by asking them about their past buying patterns. I recommend you ask them, have you ever bought a similar product or service, similar to what you sell, that is? How did you do it last time? We need to ask those questions for another reason. And there's a penalty if we don't. Customers feel the salesperson is pushy when we ignore their past buying patterns. That's what it is we do that makes them think we're pushy. If they've never bought a similar service before, they will find the decision even harder, riskier, and more painful. It's easier to be more risk tolerant when buying for familiar needs from the usual partners than when buying something for the first time. If they never bought before but seem to know what to ask, they may have been educated by a competitor salesperson who got to them first. I like to ask those customers, have you talked to my competitors, or words to that effect, how come you didn't buy from them? You will learn what the competitors missed and how much risk they are comfortable with before they gamble with a decision. The second psychological factor influencing business buying decisions is what I call right brain versus left brain thinking or details versus context. Let me explain. Humans and other animals have split brains with a right and left hemisphere. The left side pays attention to what we're doing. The right side pays attention to the world around us. The left side controls language and our tool-making right hand. It likes to break things down so it can focus on details. Our right side is where we process music and other things that don't benefit from breaking down, enabling us to see everything in context. A bird's left hemisphere is focused on building the nest from small parts of leaves and grass. The right side is looking out for predators. It's hard to pay attention to both context and details at the same time for anyone, including salespeople and corporate buyers. When the salesperson is paying attention to both, they're able to think of their next question or answer while reading the customer's body language. They could stay in the moment while seeing the high-level context of where, by virtue of their sales conversation, the sales opportunity is landing in their sales pipeline. The customer listens to the details of our features and benefits, but tries to fit your solution into the context of their world through the lens of what they are accountable for. In their heads, they see the work context that includes the personalities and preferences of the people they work with. They distinguish their peers from non-peers. Peers are the small circle of people they compare themselves to or would like to be associated with. Non-peers are outside. Their views may be interesting, but irrelevant to the context the buyer has in their head, unless and until the buyer can visualize your solution fitting neatly into that context, they can't make a decision. To translate this into something you could use in a sales meeting, if you were saying, my solution will increase your efficiency, we will try to convey that message with logic, but the customer isn't weighing the advantages of efficiency as much as they're trying to picture themselves and their team using and liking your solution. We're better off saying something like, my theory is that our solution will increase your efficiency, but 
I would like to check my assumptions by learning more about the people and the way they achieve their current level of efficiency. When you and the customer work together in this kind of discovery process, the both of you will be able to visualize the solution working in context. The third psychological factor influencing business buying decisions is what I call emotional amplification. Let me explain this scientific principle in plain sales talk. Do interested people buy? No. Interested people almost buy while smiling and saying the words, that's interesting. You know who buys? Fascinated people whose hair is on fire. That is metaphorically. People buy with their emotions and later rationalize to themselves and others why they bought. There is no other way to buy. When I educate a qualified customer who's not yet thinking of buying a service like mine, they pay attention with their left hemisphere, breaking down what I said about my solutions, features, and benefits. As their interest in making a change in their business eventually leads them to think of making a buying decision, they begin shortlisting their top choices down to two or three choices. The more choices, the harder to choose any. As soon as they think of those choices as finalists, they begin to engage emotionally, finally falling in love, in a sense, with one of the choices. During this phase, they are paying attention with their right hemisphere. They listen intently to the use case success stories about solutions working in similar contexts, which help them visualize the solution working in their context. The lesson here is focus on delivering your success stories at this stage even more than you're focused on the details of your features. The halo effect that describes our tendency to attribute whole personalities to people who remind us of people we know, impact salespeople at this stage. The customer will extend their feelings about the salesperson to the solution. Salespeople have to know clients judge them, perhaps unfairly, by the smallest of evidence. If we're not responsive, that must mean our solution is not responsive. It's easier to see the solution is high quality if the salesperson is buttoned up and always ready. What can salespeople do to get people to like us? Well, most salespeople are blessed with the right personality to get people to like us, but all of us can speed up the relationship we want to develop with customers or anyone else we're trying to get to, uh, to like us by finding something or someone the customer likes in common. The fourth psychological factor influencing business buying decisions is what I call the public rationale. Remember, we buy with our emotions and then rationalize our decisions. We may do this privately when we buy consumer products, but business buyers need to announce their rationalization in a public or group context. So they need to find the words to rationalize the decision, plus feel risk-free when telling and sometimes selling others on their rationale. They need to be able to tell their peers and for their peers to agree with them. Unless and until they have that messaging right, they can't finalize making a decision. The salesperson can help the customer find the right words in two ways. The first is to find metaphors that describe the advantages of your service and the differences between your offering and your competitors. Why a metaphor? Metaphors are a few words that unpack images and meaning in other people's heads. For example, if I tell you the roads I traveled on my commute home had a thousand cars on it today, your left brain will visualize the number 1,000. 
But if I tell you that during rush hour, the roads were like a parking lot, everyone would fill their minds with the picture of a very full parking lot. If I tell you my offering enables extra productivity of nothing in your head, if I compare my service to a Swiss army knife, a pocket knife that can unfold into more than 50 tools, you picture the knife. And if you ever owned and liked your Swiss army knife, you will like my service even better. The second thing you could do to help customers come up with the words for their rationalization is to help them write the messaging. The opportunity I find for this strategy is when the customer tells me they have to tell their boss or some decision maker. I ask them if they'll be recommending us. I ask what the reaction the other person might have. Do you think they'll have any questions or concerns if the customer says yes? I ask how will they tell their boss or the other person about my solution? I then suggest a way to help them. Suppose I create a one-page executive summary outline tailored for that other person. Would that help you tell them? If they say yes, and they should say yes, thanks, that would help. I look to schedule two next steps. The first is to meet by phone in advance of the boss meeting to review my draft of the executive summary. The second follows the boss meeting so I can hear their reaction. This approach enables the salesperson to control the communication of the purchase rationale and creates the right next steps to prevent delays. The fifth psychological factor influencing business buying decisions is what I call consensus from peers. The roots to this psychological influence on our behavior run deep. If we stand at a crowded corner, waiting to safely cross the road, and people all around us begin walking, we walk too, before we even notice that the light hasn't yet changed. Who are these strangers who give us such reassurance? If we don't see lots of people in a restaurant or a doctor's office, we conclude they must not be very good, and we move on, choosing a more crowded option that feels safer. If others, especially others whom we respect, tell us they like something, we're more inclined to like it as well. And when the a buyer tells one of their co-workers whom they consider a peer about a decision they are thinking about, they want the other person to agree even before they talk to them about it. If they knew the reaction was going to be, hey, that's a great idea, they'd move ahead with their decision fearlessly. But until then, fear of lack of consensus will prevent them from even broaching the subject. I anticipate the stumbling block on the way to a decision and have a strategy to address. I ask my contact questions about their peers, questions I know they can't answer. I do this so that I can create a meeting between my contact, their peer, and myself so we can together build consensus. For example, if I sold information to a research department, I'd ask my contact, presumably the head of research, what research their internal customers were going to need. What will the head of marketing and sales and operation be doing next year? Will anything be changing for them that would change their needs and therefore change the research requests they make to your department? Usually my contact will answer with a series of, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'd say, probably, probably. After a few probablys, I suggest that the three of us get together to learn what the other person is thinking and what's going to be changing in their world so we can all work together more effectively. In this way, step by step, meeting by meeting, I'm helping my contact build the consensus they need to safely make a decision.
The sixth psychological factor influencing business buying decisions is the most important one of all. The illusion of time. Everything in life takes longer than you think. This is particularly true for salespeople. Check your email for two minutes, it turns into an hour. Go into salesforce.com or your CRM or your marketing automation tool like HubSpot or your pipeline or a platform to do something that you think you should only take two minutes to do and 22 minutes later, you're still doing it. Customers also misjudge how much time things take, which is why they think they have time to delay making a decision now about something they'll need in six months. They forget or don't realize that customers can move very slowly, even when the buyer appears to be in a hurry. They could take 30, 60, 90 days to redline a contract. If NDAs, MSAs, and SOWs are involved, the process can be extended 3 to 12 months. If various departments have to coordinate in order to begin implementing a new solution, that communication can take months to get right. And if that communication involves whitelisting emails and piercing firewalls with API integrations, the process can take another few months. Most salespeople try to create urgency by offering a discount tied to signing now. However, that doesn't address the five psychological decision delayers, nor does it help the customer see that they're out of time. They know that if you're offering a great discount this month, you must want their business, and they want it to appear that you want it more than they do, so they can squeeze you for more discounts or at least delay signing a deal. So, instead, I recommend creating what I call a backward timeline. On the far left is today. On the far right is what I call day number one. That's the day way in the future, beyond the decision, beyond the sending of contracts and invoices, beyond the kickoff meeting, extending all the way into the first month that the customer experiences the benefits they believe they might get from my offering. This is why it is crucial to learn what the customer is accountable for. If it's their responsibility to make something happen in the future, What is the first month that it must happen? And why that date? And what happens if we miss that date? As long as they have a compelling reason for something to happen at some time in the future, my backward timetable will show them when they'd need to make a decision in order to get what they want when they want it. They thought they had a year to decide, but after I remind them of the launch time needed after contract and the time it takes to get approvals and redlining pre-contract, They finally see the connection between a decision now and getting the pleasure they seek or mitigating the risk in time for them to avoid the pain they fear. Let's do a quick review. There are six psychological reasons for delaying decisions, and we salespeople have to address them with something other than proposals and follow-up calls. The extra steps we need to add to the discovery process that help us help the customer make a decision on time shorten the time it takes after we deliver the proposal to get a decision. Here are four recommendations for implementing these ideas this week. A. Learn the rationale of your best customers. Ask a customer or at least an account manager in your company who knows their answer why, in the customer's words, they buy and renew. B. Learn the past buying pattern of every new prospect or customer contact you meet this week. C. Try the backward timetable in a sales meeting, especially if there's any fuzziness about timelines, due dates, 
or the use of loose language like the suspicious word soon. D. Lead by example by making a decision today about which day and which break you'll join me again for your next coaching session. You don't want to miss it. We'll be talking about how our job, which often looks like luck, is really a game of sales. And like other games that look like luck, we can change sales outcomes, making more sales easier if we know how to play. I'm Steve Bookbinder, your sales coach. Thanks so much for sharing your break with me. Please reach out if you have any questions about what we've talked about or ideas for future lunch break coaching sessions. Thank you for listening to Food for Thought. To get your free sales playbook, visit dmtraining.net forward slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of Steve's jokes and helpful resources. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.